Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast contains descriptions of violence against children and adult language and is not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Suffer the Little Children, the true crime podcast giving voices back to the victims of child abuse and shining a harsh spotlight on the parents, guardians, and caretakers who silence them. I'm your host, Lane, and this is Episode 98, Jackson Love Part 1. When two-year-old Jackson Love was rushed to the emergency room in Stockton, California, on July 25, 2017, his father and stepmother, Willard and Chelsea Maynard, said the toddler had been injured by falling from a trampoline. However, when Chelsea was further interviewed, she admitted to throwing her husband's son in the air and letting him fall to the ground over her anger that Jackson was the product of his father's infidelity. In this episode, I will tell you the story of Jackson Love, a little boy who was cherished by his family and whose big smile could light up any room. I'll also tell you the story of a mother who wallowed in malice and spite until she ultimately lashed out at the very last person who deserved her wrath. In next week's episode, you'll hear my conversation with Jackson's mom, Brittany Gonzalez, who has tirelessly sought justice for Jax for four and a half years. This is part one of the tragic story of Jackson Love. Before I get into Jackson's story, I'd like to thank my newest patrons, Chelsea from Jasper, Texas, and from the Emerald City, thank you to Melissa A., Carrie with a K, Megan B., Sativa M., and Sarah G., I truly appreciate your support, and I can't thank you enough for helping me get closer to my goal. If you'd like to make a monthly or yearly pledge, you can do so at patreon.com stlcpod. You can also make a one-time donation at sufferthelittlechildrenblog.com support. Thanks so much, everyone. Now I'm going to tell you the story of an adorable little boy who was taken from his loving family by a woman who let her spite and jealousy overpower her basic sense of human decency. Jackson Terrell Love was born at 10.20 a.m. on February 27, 2015, 
weighing 6 pounds, 13 ounces, and measuring 21 inches in length. His parents were 25-year-old Brittany Nicole Gonzalez and 31-year-old Willard William Maynard Jr., who goes by the nickname of KJ, after his late father, who went by Kent. Brittany and Willard met while working at Amazon together, and in 2014, the two had a brief fling that resulted in a pregnancy. At the time, Brittany did not know that Willard was married, or that he and his wife, 27-year-old Chelsea Maynard, had several children between them. When she found out she was pregnant with Jackson, Brittany already had two daughters, aged five and two, with her ex, Antonio Reyes. Brittany and the girls were over the moon with excitement for their baby boy. Adding to the excitement of Jackson's arrival, just 18 days after his birth, Brittany's sister, Pamela Gonzalez, gave birth to her baby boy. Pamela and her partner, Will, were Jackson's godparents. The sisters were excited to raise their boys together, and the cousins even celebrated their first birthday together. When Jackson was a baby, Willard did not believe that Jackson was his biological son, saying he was too white, but Brittany posted a photo of her mother, Roberta, on Facebook with baby Jackson. Brittany is mixed race. Her father, Ernie, is black, and Roberta is Mexican and very light-skinned, so Brittany explained he got it from his grandma. As reluctant as he was to admit it, a DNA test confirmed that Jackson was indeed Willard's biological son. Chelsea didn't take the news well, for obvious reasons, but rather than take her anger and jealousy out on her husband, she seemed to blame Brittany for Willard's infidelity, and as an extension of Brittany, Chelsea also resented baby Jackson. By the time he was two, Jackson was an utterly adorable child with tight, blondish curls and big, lively brown eyes that squinted when he smiled his wide, radiant smile. He was impossible not to love. That was for everyone except Chelsea Maynard. After Brittany was awarded child support, Willard filed for joint custody, a court dispute that went on for months. During the custody battle, multiple reports were made to San Joaquin County Children's Services about both parents. A later report by Fox 40 revealed that Jackson's family was linked to at least 14 CPS incidents, seven of which, between December of 2016 and June of 2017, were about Jackson specifically. Several reports were filed against Brittany during the custody dispute, but none of those were substantiated. While they shared custody of Jackson, an arrangement that began in November of 2016, Brittany said her son suffered ongoing abuse in Willard's home that was reportedly witnessed by family members, neighbors, and friends, but no one reported it. Brittany herself filed reports with CPS after Jackson came home with cuts and bruises. The last reported incident was in December of 2016, when Jackson's little bottom was covered with bruises. After her two-year-old son said to his mom, Hurt, hurt, Brittany had Jackson medically examined, but doctors could not explain what caused the bruises. Children's Services investigated the incident and granted Brittany emergency sole custody in the interim, but after the agency could not determine when, where, and in whose care the abuse took place, the previous joint custody arrangement was allowed to continue. In early July of 2017, Brittany received an anonymous call from a restricted number. The female caller told her that she should not let Jackson go back to Willard's house because Chelsea was abusing him. Brittany did not report the call because she didn't know whether or not she could take it seriously. The caller gave no indication of her identity, and besides, Brittany had reported abuse already to Children's Services and been all but ignored. If only that caller had reported the abuse to authorities herself, I might not be telling this story at all. But unfortunately, I'm sure you already know where this is headed. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Saturday, July 22, 2017, after Jackson and his sisters visited their grandma, Brittany took Jackson for a haircut, during which he happily sat in a barber's chair shaped like Lightning McQueen from the Disney movie Cars. Huh? Yeah, the car. Look at Jax. Say cheese. Oh, look at there you go. <gasps> Later that day, Brittany exchanged custody of Jackson, where she parted ways with her son, never knowing it would be the last time she would hear him say, I love you, or see his brilliant smile. Three days later, on Tuesday, July 25th, 2017, Jackson was in the care of his father and stepmother, Willard and Chelsea Maynard, at their home on Chauncey Circle in northwest Stockton, California. On that day, Jackson was taken to St. Joseph's Hospital in Stockton, where Chelsea and Willard told medical staff that Jackson took a fall off the trampoline. A CPS report later revealed that Jackson suffered multiple bruises all over his body. The gravity of Jackson's condition was immediately apparent, and he was airlifted to the Oakland Children's Hospital, where it was determined that Jackson suffered from broken ribs and a severe head injury causing bleeding and swelling of the brain. Surgery was performed to attempt to alleviate the swelling, and he was placed on life support. On Wednesday, July 26th, hospital staff made a report of child abuse to the Stockton Police Department. Detectives interviewed Jackson's mother, Brittany, as well as his father, Willard, and stepmother, Chelsea. Brittany later told CBS 13 Sacramento that Willard told me that basically Jackson had a trampoline accident. He fell but was completely fine. Woke up in the morning, which would be Wednesday morning, and he was fine then. I guess at 12 o'clock he had a bath and I guess he took a nap afterward. And Dad, I guess, went out and did some errands and left the baby with his wife. When Willard came home, Brittany said she was told, he found Jackson unresponsive. She also said, how can you not notice that your child has a broken rib? If they're screaming and crying in pain and agony, that's a sign. Take them in. Take them to the hospital. Get something evaluated. Don't just sit there and let it happen, if that's what truly happens. 30-year-old Chelsea Maynard was arrested on multiple charges, including child abuse, and booked into the San Joaquin County Jail. Brittany told a reporter, I am just a swirl of emotions right now. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm upset, confused. I'm just trying to hold it together. I want to know what happened. I want to know exactly what happened. And I don't know if I'm going to get altered truths about it. Lies. My son deserves the truth. My son deserves justice. I want to have some peace of mind of what happened and to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else's kid, ever. 
While at the Oakland hospital, Brittany was surprised when Willard's sister, Zana Everett, confessed to her that she was the individual who called her two weeks prior to tell her about Chelsea abusing Jackson. By Thursday, July 27th, Jackson had been pronounced brain dead. One of Jackson's grandmothers, Eileen Waterman, the mother of Brittany's stepbrother, told the record that the decision to remove Jackson from life support on Thursday was delayed so Willard could say his final goodbyes. As Brittany had come to believe, Eileen, too, was convinced Jackson's injuries were caused by abuse at the hands of Willard and Chelsea. This little boy did not deserve that treatment. Too many times the system doesn't work. Now someone needs to be held accountable. Jackson was pronounced dead on Friday, July 28, 2017. His body was kept functioning until July 31st, when members of Donor Network West notified Brittany that they had found matches for Jackson's organs. She showed them pictures and photos of Jackson so they could see what a beautiful soul he was and also to let them know how much he meant to me. However, because Jackson's body was being treated like a crime scene, the district attorney and Joaquin County Sheriff requested the donation process be halted. Brittany notified Donor Network West, who reached out and changed the minds of the DA and the sheriff. Brittany was given the opportunity to cuddle Jackson one more time before he was transported via Walk of Honor from his pediatric intensive care unit room to the operating room. She didn't want to let Jackson go, but she did after asking the DNW surgeon if they could call her after the procedure just to let her know it was done. About an hour later, they received the call that Jackson's organs were on their way to their destination. Jackson's heart went to a 17-month-old boy and his liver to a 16-month-old boy, both from Southern California. The little boy who loved superheroes by saving two lives had become a superhero himself. At Chelsea Maynard's first court appearance on Monday, July 31, 2017, she did not enter a plea. Her court-appointed public defender, Lisa Smith, filed a motion to allow her client out of jail on her own recognizance, saying Chelsea understands the seriousness of the offense. Her client had worked at Tesla for the past month, Smith said, and if she was released, she would stay away from minor children. Deputy District Attorney Christine Reed said, The people are absolutely opposed to OR. Judge Ronald Northrup sided with the prosecution, denying the defense's motion, although he did reduce Chelsea's bail from $2.35 million to $1.25 million. She was scheduled to be arraigned the following Monday, charged with child abuse endangerment, infliction of great bodily injury, corporal injury to a child, and child abuse resulting in death. Outside the courtroom, Jackson's maternal aunt Pamela said, We want justice for Jackson. We want justice served and everybody held accountable for the murder of Jackson. My sister did everything in her care to protect him. Up till that point, what really happened to Jackson had remained a mystery, even to Brittany. When Brittany finally learned what the CPS file had to say about Jackson's death, tears poured down her face. The file read in part, Chelsea finally stated the reason why Jackson was currently in his vegetative state was due to her throwing him up in the air and letting him fall. Chelsea was arrested after dropping her initial trampoline story and telling police, I did everything. She then admitted that she threw Jackson in the air and failed to catch him, instead allowing him to fall on his head. The documents revealed that the deep animosity Chelsea felt toward Jackson was because he was the product of an affair between her husband and Brittany, even though Brittany maintains that when Jackson was conceived, she did not know that Willard was married. 
Chelsea told police that she and Willard were married for nine years before they found out in January of 2016 that he had a son who was the result of his infidelity. She said she was depressed and devastated after finding out that her husband cheated on her, and just looking at Jackson reminded her of the affair and reminded her how mad she was about everything, so she threw him in the air and let him drop. She did not try to catch him. Brittany said, If she didn't like me so much, she should have told his dad, and I would have gladly taken Jackson under my care and not have to worry about him getting hurt like that. From the CPS report, Brittany also learned about previous abuse, which detectives said Chelsea told them took place about two weeks prior to Jackson's fatal injury. In the earlier incident, Chelsea said she took her anger out by placing her hands around his neck and submerging him into the bath water. Chelsea said she held him under the water by holding him down by his neck. He was squirming. Chelsea said that when she saw herself holding him underwater, she stopped and asked herself what she was doing. During another instance of abuse that Chelsea told police about, this one taking place just before Christmas in 2016, she beat Jackson with a toy baseball bat while Willard wasn't home, causing marks on Jackson's bottom and discoloration on his thighs and legs. That was the incident that was investigated by CPS. According to Brittany, there was no way Willard was unaware of their son's abuse. When interviewed by People, Brittany said, My whole world just crashed and burned when I heard that. My son did not deserve to have that happen to him, just because she doesn't like me. My poor baby went out like that when he didn't have to. Her reason behind it was because she had a deep dislike for me. It's totally wrong. I knew she didn't like me from the get-go because I was deemed the other woman. Once his dad got joint custody, she never really liked to talk to me, or she would say very belittling things to me. In August of 2018, Brittany filed a civil lawsuit against Willard and Chelsea Maynard, seeking undisclosed damages, accusing Chelsea of fatally injuring Jackson and Willard of standing by without recognizing what was occurring and failing to protect his child. Jackson's autopsy report was expected to be completed in February of 2018, but by the time April rolled around with no report, Brittany's frustration continued to grow. She told Fox 40, It's holding up the court process. It's stalling it a lot because we can't move forward without that. While waiting for the results of the autopsy, Brittany told the record of Jackson, He was a little ray of sunshine in my life, my only son. His smile would light up the room. He loved to sing, loved to dance. There's a special bond between a mother and son. My world is definitely not the same without him. Of losing her son, she said, It feels like you have a cut. It's trying to scab over, but nothing lets it scab over. It keeps bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. It's like I'm slowly dying inside. On April 23, 2018, Chelsea appeared in court for an order-to-show-cause hearing, which was held to facilitate an explanation from San Joaquin County Sheriff Coroner Steve Moore to the court as to why the autopsy report was not yet completed when the autopsy itself took place immediately after Jackson's death. Judge William D. Johnson ordered Sheriff Moore, or a representative, to appear to give any legal reason why this court should not find you guilty of contempt for failure to timely complete an autopsy. Sheriff Moore was represented during the hearing by attorney Matthew Dacey of the San Joaquin City Council and Chief Deputy Coroner Mike Reynolds, both of whom told the judge they anticipated the report being completed by May 31st. The report was delayed in part due to recent turmoil in the coroner's office. As it turned out, esteemed pathologists Dr. Susan Parson and Dr. Bennett Omalu both resigned in late 2017, citing an unbearable work environment under Sheriff Moore. 
They accused Sheriff Moore of interfering in death investigations to protect law enforcement officers by withholding evidence and investigatory reports, which prevented them from completing their own investigations. Dr. Omalu said in an interview, We should never, ever compromise our standards, compromise the integrity and the credibility of the system, especially in this type of work where people have placed their trust in you to tell them the truth. Dr. Omalu, who was the chief forensic pathologist for San Joaquin County, is world-renowned for discovering chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, a deadly neurological condition found in over 315 professional football players in the NFL and in several professional wrestlers. This discovery led to a great deal of controversy, but that's a story for another time. Sheriff Moore claimed he never interfered with the pathologist's findings, but that he has the final say on the manner of death in each case. I do that based on the totality of the circumstances, up to and including the autopsy report provided by the doctor and the investigative report done by the coroner's investigators. In her resignation letter, a three-month notice dated November 27, 2017, Dr. Parson wrote that she would spend her final three months completing and finalizing reports for the more than 150 open autopsy cases to which I am assigned. In a letter to the district attorney, Dr. Parson wrote, Prior to our resignations, Dr. Omalu and I did everything we could to complete all casework. She offered to complete 13 autopsy reports as a contractor, including Jackson's, which she began while under the county's employ. The offer to complete these cases stemmed from not only my desire to follow through with my professional and ethical responsibilities, but also in consideration of the fact that some of these cases were known to be homicides or suspicious deaths. In early 2018, in the midst of reports of mishandling of death investigations in San Joaquin County, the County Board of Supervisors voted to remove the duties of the coroner from the sheriff's job description and to establish a medical examiner's office instead. According to the two forensic pathologists who resigned, the improper handling of death investigations inflicted distress and extra costs on grieving families, wasted county resources, and potentially impeded prosecutions. According to news station KQED, which found that Sheriff Moore's coroner's office released the wrong bodies to families in 2016 and 2017 and even lost track of one body in the morgue for a matter of months. The coroner's office also unnecessarily charged hundreds of families hundreds of dollars to transport the bodies of their loved ones to the morgue, and in some instances, Sheriff's deputies tasked with coroner duties failed to report to the pathologists deaths that the county was legally required to investigate in a timely manner, which prevented the doctors from performing the necessary autopsies and tests. At the April 23rd hearing, it was revealed that Dr. Bennett Omalu had recently completed his forensic neuropathology report on April 7th. Dr. Omalu told the record that he did not ask the county to pay him, even though he was no longer employed by the county by that time. When this was brought to my attention, I stayed up all night, finished my work, and sent a copy to the county. There is no reason that Dr. Parson was not provided these reports the same day I sent them to the county. According to the San Joaquin County District Attorney's Office, the Sheriff Coroner and County Council were working out details to allow Dr. Susan Parson, the original forensic pathologist, to complete her autopsy report now that she will have the neuropathology report. Cases of this nature, children who are killed due to blunt force trauma, take longer than most autopsy reports because of the medical standards required. Attorney Dacey said that Dr. Omalu's report was not yet forwarded to Dr. Parson because by that time, she was employed by Santa Clara County and not San Joaquin County. Financial and legal details needed to be worked out before she could see the report. After the hearing, Brittany told the record of the continued wait. 
It's not fair to me, it's not fair to Jackson, and it's not fair to my family. It hurts. It's a big boulder on my shoulder. At long last, in May of 2018, ten months after Jackson's death, the autopsy report was completed, ruling Jackson's death was a homicide, and the two-year-old died as a result of blunt force injury of head. Blunt force injury of torso is a contributory factor to his death. The report, which the sheriff's office stated Dr. Parson was paid $5,000 to complete, described Jackson as weighing 30 pounds and having multiple contusions on his body, including his chest, abdomen, buttocks, arms, and legs, in addition to a severe traumatic brain and cervical spine injury. His lower spine was crushed, and he had fluid in his lungs. Shockingly, the autopsy report also mentioned that the chemical ethylene glycol, an ingredient in antifreeze, was present in Jackson's body at the time of his death, although it did not indicate whether the level of the chemical in Jackson's blood was lethal or why it was there. The presence of the chemical was the reason Jackson's kidneys were not viable for donation. When Brittany read the report, she was hit with a wave of conflicting emotions. While she was relieved that the court process could finally move forward, learning what her baby had suffered was extremely painful. She told the record, I'm relieved because of getting parts of the truth that I wouldn't be getting otherwise, but I can't get through one day without breaking down and crying. The case against Chelsea Maynard ran into snag after snag as it crawled through the legal system. The preliminary hearing was scheduled and rescheduled multiple times. In early July of 2018, prior to a court hearing, an altercation broke out in the hallway outside the courtroom between the respective supporters of Brittany and Chelsea. About ten bailiffs swooped in to separate the opposing sides and prevent a brawl. During the hearing, Judge William Johnson chastised Chelsea's retained defense attorney, Stratton Barbie, for asking for a two-month delay in the preliminary hearing to give himself more time to prepare. Mr. Barbie claimed the additional time was necessary due to bureaucracy and red tape after the defense took on the services of a private investigator and a forensic pathologist. Prosecutor Jennifer Kibbe Day opposed the motion, saying the hearing had been scheduled several months ago and that Mr. Barbie waited until the last minute to pick up discovery materials that had already been available to the defense, including the reports from the autopsy and Child Protective Services. Ms. Day said that should have been his number one priority. Ultimately, Judge Johnson pushed the hearing back until September, although he wasn't thrilled about it. He explained, I have no alternative but to provide due process for the client. When we set it next time, it's going to go. After the hearing, Chelsea's supporters and those on Brittany's side were directed to leave on a staggered basis to ensure the hostility between the parties did not boil over into physical violence. When the preliminary hearing began on September 13, 2018, while multiple supporters sat in the courtroom, many wearing T-shirts memorializing Jackson, Brittany and her boyfriend, Austin, gave difficult testimony about losing the little boy they both called the light of our life. Brittany testified, He was my funny little guy and definitely a mama's boy. He loved music. He loved to dance. He loved Mickey Mouse. Both Brittany and Austin testified that they were worried several times when Jackson came home with bruises after his court-ordered visitation at the Maynard's home. Austin told the court, I always had concerns for his physical well-being whenever we dropped him off. On cross-examination, Mr. Barbie pulled a typical slimy defense attorney move, 
attempting to ruin Britney's credibility and call her parenting ability into question by forcing her to acknowledge that in 2012, CPS removed her then three-year-old autistic daughter from her custody for five months after she was accused of slapping her daughter across the face. Britney explained that she slapped her daughter in a moment of panic when she thought the little girl would damage her teeth while chewing a zipper. About that incident, Austin testified, In her past, she made a singular mistake. When the judge called a brief recess, Willard spoke with the reporter from the record, which he hadn't been willing to do before, saying the public should keep an open mind about the case until the trial was over. I just want to say that people should look at both sides. We're here for justice overall. There's two sides to a coin. His sister, Zana Everett, who had called Brittany prior to Jackson's death to tell his mother he was being abused, gave an evasive answer when asked if she thought Chelsea was responsible for her nephew's death. I'll leave it for the judges to say. It's not my place to say. Also at the preliminary hearing, an issue arose that indicated a possible conflict of interest in the case. Prosecutor Kibby Day informed the court that Chelsea's criminal defense attorney, Mr. Barbie, also represented Chelsea and Willard in the civil lawsuit Brittany filed against them the year before. Because Willard was a witness in the criminal case, Mr. Barbie's representation might be considered a conflict of interest. The prosecutor said she raised the issue to protect Chelsea's rights as a defendant. Mr. Barbie responded to Judge Johnson, saying, There has been nothing I have seen or heard to suggest that I cannot fully represent my client while at the same time defending Mr. Maynard in the civil action. The judge replied, I've never had this issue come up before. I want to make sure we get it right. Suspending the preliminary hearing for another week, Judge Johnson said he would consider the matter prior to that date. After the hearing was suspended, Mr. Barbie told the record that the judge could rule in several ways. He could do nothing and allow Mr. Barbie to continue representing both Maynards. He could rule that the attorney could not represent the couple in the civil action or he could rule that the attorney could no longer represent Chelsea in the criminal matter, in which case a new attorney would need to be appointed or retained. Judge Johnson announced his decision when the preliminary hearing resumed on September 20, 2018, removing attorney Stratton Barbie as Chelsea's defense counsel on the basis of the finding of a legal conflict. Once again, due to this development, the preliminary hearing had to be rescheduled. In February of 2020, Deputy District Attorney Kathleen Murray replaced Deputy District Attorney Jennifer Kibbe Day as the lead prosecutor on the case, which, combined with the court's pandemic-related shutdown, led to further delays in the legal process. Judge William Johnson remained on the case until July of 2020, when it was reassigned to Judge Tony Agbayani. Judge Michael Mulvihill took over in February of 2021. On New Year's Day in 2022, when Judge Mulvihill crashed his SUV in Stockton and was arrested on DUI charges, Brittany Gonzalez was pretty much over the constant upheaval in her son's case. She told CBS 13 Sacramento, Being a judge, you should hold yourself to a higher standard. I hope if there is a delay, it will get resolved quickly by being assigned to another judge. Stephanie Borer, spokesperson for the San Joaquin County Superior Court, told the media, Mr. Mulvihill's dedication to the people of San Joaquin County is not only manifested through his work in the district attorney's office, but also through his involvement in the legal field and community. The video of the SUV crash and the judge's arrest were posted to YouTube. Three days after the incident, Judge Chaparri Villapudua was assigned to the case. Chelsea has also had several attorney changes since her first appointed public defender, April Van Dyke, gave way to retained attorney Stratton Barbie. 
When he was removed from the case, Chelsea was assigned another public defender, Nicholas O'Brien Kovari, who was replaced in May of 2021 by Chelsea's current public defender, Allison Norbert. On Monday, January 31, 2022, Chelsea Maynard pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter and five child abuse enhancement charges. When she is sentenced on March 21st, she will receive 26 years in prison. Of the four years she has served in county jail, only 15% will be credited as time served, which comes out to about eight months, and Chelsea will be required to serve at least 85% of her total sentence. Chelsea reportedly wept during her plea hearing. You can bet those tears weren't for the little boy whose life she cut short, but for the two and a half decades she's about to spend behind bars. While I'm sure it was at least somewhat gratifying for Brittany and her friends and family to hear Chelsea admit in court that she was guilty, I'm sure no sentence could feel like true justice, because nothing can bring Jackson back to them. Jackson's loved ones will give victim impact statements at the sentencing hearing. To my surprise, as of this morning, neither the record, which followed Jackson's case religiously for the first year or so, nor any other news outlet has reported on this major development in the legal case. In June of 2020, San Joaquin County's Child Abuse Prevention Council released a public service announcement in which the message was loud and clear. See something? Say something. Brittany was quoted by Fox 40 in a piece about the PSA, saying, Break the silence. Speak up. Because these kids need a voice. The council's executive director, Lindy Turner-Hardin, said, The bottom line is that evil depends on good people staying silent, and we need good people to speak up really do need to do something about it, because if you don't, there's a chance that that child is going to suffer in silence. I'll include a link in the show notes to the page where you can watch the PSA. It also mentions another case in Stockton I've been following for the past two years, that of seven-year-old Billy Simone Williams, who was found dead in her family's garage and whose father and stepmother are now charged in her death. It bothered me a lot that they didn't mention Billy's name during the PSA, so I'm also going to link to my coverage about Billy's story on SufferTheLittleChildrenBlog.com. I also plan to dedicate an episode of the podcast to Billy at some point in the future, because she deserves to have her story told and her name remembered. Regardless of its omission of Billy's name, I think the PSA is very important to watch and to heed. You might be the one person who has the opportunity to save a child from a life of abuse and misery, maybe even their death at the hands of their abusers. You might be their last hope. I think we owe it to all of the kids I've talked about and thousands of others I haven't yet to do everything we can to save other kids from a similar fate. If you see something, say something. Brittany and her daughters participate in an annual event called the Donate Life Walk. Along with a group of family members, friends, and supporters, they represent their favorite superhero, Jackson, in a group they call Jackson's Justice League. Brittany is now an ambassador for the Donor Network West organization. I'll include the links to the organization's website and Facebook page in the show notes. Brittany does an amazing job of keeping Jackson's memory alive and I know he would be incredibly proud of his mommy for all the good she does in his name. She and the father of her two daughters, Antonio Reyes, are back together and expecting another baby boy, and she has every intention of teaching the new baby all about his big brother and guardian angel, Jackson. 
I want to play a few short audio clips from videos Brittany has posted over the years, just so you can hear Jackson's sweet little voice and what a little sweetheart he was. In this clip, Jackson and his mommy are singing along to the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme song. That's you. Here's Jackson getting mad at his mommy because he thinks she's singing the patty cake song incorrectly. How about patty cake, patty cake, baker's men, bake me a cake as fast as you can, first you pat it, and roll it, Margaret with a B, put it in the oven for baby and me. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. No. Is that how it goes? No, someone is. But they go walking. Okay, I'm sorry. You play basketball. Okay. Here's a clip of Jackson playing with one of his sister's dolls, rocking her and sniffing her feet. Baby. Maggie. Oh. Her piggies? Her toes? Smell her toes. Smell. <laughs> this clip might just break your heart. I love you. I love you. Aww. How cute. I love you. Before I end the episode, I'd like to devote some time to talk about Jackson himself, who he was, and what he meant to the people who loved him. Jackson Terrell Love adored his two older sisters. Sometimes he would play with their dolls, pushing them around in their toy stroller and pretending to rock them to sleep. Jackson loved pizza, cheesecake, and bananas. His first birthday cake was actually a banana cream pie. Whenever his mommy cooked, he liked to be in the kitchen with her, playing on the floor with plastic bowls, cups, and spoons. According to his mommy, Jackson loved superheroes, primarily Batman. He would run around and have his cape on with his hands on his hips as if he was ready to save the world. Brittany said, He was just so silly. He loved to sing and dance. He loved to be around people. He was very independent, very soft-spoken. Jackson loved hats and shoes, especially wearing his grandpa's. He had a little toddler crush on Ariana Grande and sang along to her song Side to Side, which he called Side Side Side. He also liked to sit and watch the Oakland A's baseball games with his mommy. Whenever Brittany went out to the store, Jackson would fall asleep in the car. He would be grumpy when she got him out of the car, but he would quickly fall back asleep when she placed him in the shopping cart. She said Jackson was a mama's boy who was so full of life and was always smiling and giggling. He loved Mickey Mouse and loved to sing and dance to music, especially in Mommy's car, and he brought so much joy to my life and to all of my families. Jackson's nana, Roberta Galvin, who called Jackson Gooby, wrote on Facebook, I miss your hugs and kisses and everything else. Missing your beautiful smile, your beautiful blondie curls, your twinkling brown eyes. Everything about you, mijo. Brittany wrote on Facebook on January 4th, 2021, Losing my only son has changed me in so many ways. I'm no longer the same person that I was before this nightmare began. 
But one thing that cannot be changed is that I am Jackson's mommy and I will continue to fight no matter what. In an earlier Facebook post, she wrote, I never thought I would love a boy so much, nor was I a believer of love at first sight, until the day I had you. I knew my life was complete. I never knew how much my heart could break until the day I had to let you go. I miss you so much, my handsome boy. Rest well, Jackson. Your memory will live on forever. In next week's episode, you'll hear my conversation with Brittany Gonzalez, who is a passionate advocate for abused children, an ambassador for organ donation, an incredible mommy, and an all-around inspiring person. I think you'll enjoy hearing my conversation with her as much as I did having it. My sources for this episode were Fox 40, the San Joaquin County District Attorney's Office, LinkedIn, Facebook, KRON, CBS 13 Sacramento, The Record, the San Joaquin County Sheriff's Office, KQED, Crime Online, People, the Child Abuse Prevention Council of San Joaquin County, and the Superior Court of San Joaquin County's Case Search Portal. That's it for this week. Join me next week for part two of Jackson's story. If you like the show, please follow or subscribe to Suffer the Little Children on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Spreaker, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening app. And please leave me a five-star rating and a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Visit the website at SufferTheLittleChildrenPod.com where you can listen to episodes or become a patron for rewards ranging from a shout-out by name on the show to bonus content and exclusive gifts. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Pinterest at SufferTheLittleChildrenPod and on Twitter and TikTok at STLCPod. View photos related to today's episode on Facebook and Instagram. For more stories like the one you heard today, visit SufferTheLittleChildrenBlog.com. This podcast is researched, written, hosted, edited, and produced by Lane. All music for the show is licensed from audiojungle.net. Email tips, comments, questions, or case suggestions to sufferthelittlechildren.pod at gmail.com. For more information about preventing or reporting child abuse, visit childhelp.org or call your area's child abuse hotline. If you see something, say something. Until next week, bye everyone.